0: Hello, hello, and welcome back to a long overdue episode of The State of the Fandom, our daily, or sometimes weekly, or sometimes monthly podcast. Um, I am your host, uh, Dr. Neil Fox, not a real doctor, uh, and I am here, as always, with my lovely partner in life and a partner in completely legal crime. Yes! Hello, people! This is Legal Labrador, and again, sorry for the weird hiatus. We, we've been have... dealing with a lot. Uh, you'll ta- you'll see it in the documentary, but uh, there <laughs> we have had one of the most strange and um, absurd and terrifying weeks of our lives. So uh, we will be talking about it for many future podcasts to come, I'm sure. Yes. But what I wanted to discuss with you in this episode. Is something that I've been thinking about for quite a while. So this this is something that I am curious if the scientific research backs this up because this is mostly a thought experiment and not based on research that I've read because uh, it, it's quite complicated and I am not an expert as much as I would like to be. I am not an expert in psychology, but <clears throat> here's what I'm thinking. So, how much do you know about the split-brain experiments? Uh, not much. Okay, well, let's go over them just real quick. So, uh, do you know what... Uh, I, mean, I assume you know what epilepsy is? Uh, vaguely. Uh, it's basically um, a electronic storm in the brain. You can, th- you can think of it as like a lightning storm within the brain. And obviously, since... In a lightning storm, the firing is relatively random. You can assume, you can imagine that people experiencing this uh, have a lot of issues with their brain and their body. Um, in many cases, people have what's called an epileptic seizure, uh, where they basically just their muscles are firing essentially in random directions and so a, per- a person having an epileptic seizure could be you know, laying on the ground and uh, writhing basically. I- I'm sure you've seen this hopefully not in person because it's quite dangerous but um, I assume you've seen it in movies and such I have okay good <clears throat> so there was a treatment for epileptic seizures in the mid 20th century and, uh, this is almost never done today because there are many other more effective treatments now. But for someone who would have what's called Grand mall seizures, and, and when I say Grand Mall we're, we're not thinking Darth Maul, even though it kind of sounds the same, uh, perhaps he should have had one of these procedures done to him. But, uh... <clears throat> Darth Maul wasn't an epileptic. I, it's a joke. <laughs> so, uh... For someone who has what's called grand mal seizures, which means seizures all over the brain all at the same time, um, it's it's the most dangerous type of seizure you can have, from what I understand, because um, <clears throat> you basically have no control over your body whatsoever. And so, someone having a seizure like this uh, is in a very dangerous position because, you know, let's say that they are driving a car, or Uh, walking down a flight of stairs, or carrying a heavy box, something like that, uh, they can have one of these seizures and they can fall and hurt themselves and potentially uh, many people around them as well if they're driving a car or something like that. So uh, for those who suffer from this issue, uh, doctors and patients and etc. will do almost anything to, uh, to rid themselves of it, because you're, you're, you're talking about a disease that can easily kill you, and not only that, but has a strong likelihood of, in the process, killing someone else as well, so you can assume that they would go to almost any length to get rid of this issue, and so, uh, doctors in the, I think it was the 60s, I don't remember exactly, but, uh, these doctors realized that, uh, What is a grand mal seizure? Well a grand mal seizure is a seizure that starts in one part of the brain and then spreads to the other parts of the brain. And so they reasoned well if we can separate the two halves of the brain safely then what we can do is we can prevent the seizure from spreading to both sides of the brain. So it would be contained on one half of the brain so that the person, you know, let's say they're walking down a flight of stairs, maybe they can, you know, grab the handle or, or grab the, um, the railing, for example, with, with the half of the brain that's still functioning properly. So anyway, that's the reasoning behind why they decided to try this really invasive procedure. Is that basically just a lobotomy? <laughs> uh, no, it is not. And the reason why is because the brain is a very strange and very special type of computer. Uh, A lot of what the brain does is duplicated many, 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 times. So, you know, something important to the brain, like walking, Uh, it is controlled by specific areas of the brain, sure, but like if one little small area of the brain is having an issue, then sometimes it can be duplicated across different areas, especially in children. You know, a child um, who has damage to their vision center of their brain, for example, uh, a child can actually recover the vast majority of their vision by a different area of the brain uh, taking over and copying uh, that functionality that it would need. Now, you couldn't do this in a traditional computer. A traditional computer, you know, one, one program operates one thing whereas in the brain it's much different. Uh, people think of the brain as a computer, but it is actually much more like a, uh, a network of highways or a network of electrical cables, for example, like we've talked about before. Uh, it, the, the brain as computer analogy is helpful to understand computers and understand brains on a very basic level, but like most things in psychology, it's complicated. It breaks down after you after you um, go too far into it. Anyway, so this procedure they came up with because you know you had some patients who were having seizures like every minute or every five minutes, and you can imagine that if someone is having a seizure every five <laughs> minutes, they are not going to live very long. They uh, they can't sleep properly. They can't eat properly. It's hard to even drink water when you're having a seizure. Uh, most people can't drink water while they're having a seizure. And so, um, you know, there there are a lot of uh, ethical guidelines for these types of experiments nowadays because of very terrible outcomes like the Tuskegee experiment, for example. But uh, back in those days, uh, there, there were not nearly as many protections for people's civil rights. And so these people that, you know... The doctors, you know, with some level of rationality, they reasoned, well, this person is going to die in a couple of weeks anyway. So if we do this procedure and it doesn't work, well, they haven't really lost anything. Uh, like I said, not not exactly the standard of medical practice that we have, that we have today. <laughs> not exactly now. Uh, but anyway. <clears throat> the re- let me let me be clear because uh, just from the simple description it does kind of sound like a lobotomy. It's, you know, oh we're cutting part of the brain. But the thing is with a lobotomy you are specifically intentionally messing up part of the brain. So uh, a lobotomy is a very cruel uh, procedure which was performed um, quite often around the same time, unfortunately, and for the same reason, that they said, well, if this person can't function in society or is so violent that they're they trying to hurt themselves and others at every opportunity, uh, then why don't we just mess up their brain? And by messing up their brain, then maybe they can rejoin society. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, this actually led to What people say today is by far the most um, unfortunate Nobel Prize that's ever been given. Uh, The doctor who created the lobotomy won the Nobel Prize in medicine for his discovery. Sounds about right. Yes, thank you, Nobel P- Committee. You, you, you have such good taste in Obamas and lobotomies. Uh, very similar subjects, in fact. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, Obama is uh, not lobotomized um, yet. No, I'm just, just no, he's not lobotomized. He's just, just... kidding. I'm just kidding. He, he's just a Nobel Peace Prize laureate that has a body count. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, you gotta kill a few people to keep freedom, according to some people. Uh it's so stupid. But anyway, so let me uh let me get back to this so that uh so that our, our more ADHD listeners like yourself uh, don't click off the uh click off the podcast before we get to it. So uh these doctors tried this a uh, very experimental, very uh, controversial as well procedure because you know you're going to have people that die from this. I mean you're talking about a, a surgery that literally is cutting your brain in half. So uh, the reason why it's not like a lobotomy, at least not exactly what, I mean there's there's a lot of similarities unfortunately, but the reason why it's not exactly like a lobotomy is because They are only cutting one specific region of the brain and they are not destroying neurons other than in this specific location so what part of the brain connects the two halves it's called the corpus callosum that's just the scientific term for it the corpus callosum has pretty much only one purpose and the purpose is just to Transmit signals from one side of the brain to the other There as far as I know and of course there's always exceptions in psychology But as far as I know there is no uh, Processing that happens in the corpus callosum. It's it's like a uh, Like one of those it's actually quite similar to one of those wide cables that you connect like ram to a, to a motherboard or uh, you connect a, um, a power supply to a computer Ironically enough, because it is literally, (laughs) and I'm going to make a little illustration. Computers are just, humans are just protogens. Got it. It it sounds crazy, but it's true in many cases. So you have what amounts to a strip or a flat. uh, I'm showing them with a little piece of paper towel. It's a ribbon cable. Yeah, a ribbon cable. Thank you. You know what it's called. I, uh, I I didn't remember it off the top of my head. Uh, it's essentially a ribbon cable that goes through the middle of the brain. And so the two halves of the brain are separated by this very thick bundle of neurons, but actually a relatively small bundle of neurons. So if you take a look at this for a moment, you can see that you can pretty easily snip through the middle of it. Wow. And that actually separates the two halves of the brain. Now, they didn't know. Before they did this experiment they had no idea what would happen because this had literally never been done before. Now the the only way that they had a a some ideas what might happen is from patients who were born with either none of this brain material or a small only a small amount of it. This, you know weird aberrations like that happen sometimes. Um but the uh What actually happened was stranger and more intriguing than they could have ever imagined. And this is time for a commercial break. Welcome back from the commercial break. We were just talking about what happens when you snip the brain in half. Snip, snip. It's like a... It's like a mastectomy. No, uh, what is it called when you... When you can't... Uh... uh, Vasectomy. Vasectomy, sorry. Mastectomy is removing of breasts. I I meant to say vasectomy. (laughs) I.e. Making it so that the sperm do not reach the... uh, The the end of the penis. Um, Anyway. So. Here we will... Oh my, that is a cute rabbit. Wow. <laughs> so here here's what we're gonna do to, uh, to help uh, the viewers imagine this story. So let's assume for the sake of argument, that you are one of these patients, okay? Let's assume for the sake of argument that you are not one of the patients that had it forced upon them against their will. Thank God, uh, in this example, you are one of the patients that chose to do it. Now, uh, why would you, specifically, you, Link Labrador, Yeah. why would you get this procedure done? Or would you, maybe you wouldn't. Would, if you were having severe seizures every couple of minutes, and like falling on the floor, hurting yourself having to live in the hospital 24-7 just to stay alive, like, live in a hospital room, Uh, you know, you can imagine how terrible this would be. So, what if you had the option, and the doctor came to you in, you know, 1967 or whatever, and said, we have this new procedure that can split your brain in half and remove all of the seizures from your mind, would you take the deal, Sonny Boy? I got really into character there for a second. Maybe. I mean. But you tell me. I, I'm I'm curious what your genuine reaction is, or what your genuine reaction would be in that scenario. Under those circumstances, I'd probably say, yeah, yeah. Let's just let's give it a shot. What What do I have to lose? Exactly. Well, because with even with procedures today as well uh one of the things that doctors take into account is quality of life so this person you know in in this example it's poor sir labrador having seizures all the time uh what a horrible thing that would be but um a doctor might look at that case and say well you know this person might live another 60 years But what kind of quality of life will they have if they're having seizures every five minutes and can't sleep, can hardly eat, you know, these are the types of things that doctors have to take into account. So we're going to assume for the sake of argument that you, Link Labrador, are the one who is undergoing the procedure. And we are going to just describe what it would feel like subjectively. Okay, so this is what it would feel like. All right you would, uh, you know, if, if you even had the ability to, depending on how severe the, uh, the, the condition was, but you would speak about it with the doctor and they would, uh, you know, bring you into the operating room. And you can imagine this is, you know, the 1960s, so we're not talking about a modern, beautiful, bright operating room. We're talking about everything is green. The lighting is probably pretty bad except for right over the table. There's probably like giant you know knives and things that we would today consider to look like you know things that belong in a butcher shop but that was just that was oftentimes just what hospitals looked like back then. And so this was probably be pretty scary especially for a child. Um, but uh, you, you go into this procedure and they put you under and you fall asleep. Now, while you are asleep, the doctor goes in and splits the corpus callosum in half. So now your brain has two halves to it. Okay? Now, when you wake up, the brain is now observing itself after being cut in half. What a curious thing. The brain obviously would have no evolutionary reason to evolve a process by which it could examine itself after being cut in half. So to you, nothing feels different. Okay. Okay. So obviously you're going to have a pretty bad headache for a couple of weeks while it heals up, but you know that that's you know, that's just any surgery you're going to have that. But in terms of your thinking mind, in terms of your mind being able to, you know, focus on different things, being able to speak even, you could get, there's no difference. There's no difference whatsoever. Okay? Mm-hmm. And so the scientists are really curious about this because you know, they, they assumed that the, the patients would have a lot more trouble with tasks like speaking, for example. Uh, you know, a a scientist would probably have assumed, you know, not given any data, you know, before these experiments, they would have assumed something like, oh, well, you know, the, the, the act of speech is so complex and so difficult that, of course, human beings must, uh, have uh, many, uh, many places in their brain that process speech. You know, oh, oh, you know, it can't just be one half of the brain. Uh, But they would have been very wrong. So, despite the fact that nothing feels different to you subjectively, the scientists start to notice some very odd things. So, uh, one, uh, this was a pretty obvious one. I'm sure you could just guess this just thinking about it. But uh, obviously it took some time for them to learn how to maneuver their body again. Because, you know, you're, you're... Uh, like in the bible's uh verse you know the left hand does not know what the right hand is doing you can't you know decide to pick up an apple and decide to pick up a paring knife you 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 now don't have the communication so for example if you're trying to cut something in half uh the only way the only way that your two halves of the brain can communicate with each other is through vision and so that is how the patients would coordinate their movements primarily, is that the one half of the brain would see, you know, oh, I'm picking up a wet glass from the dishwasher. Okay, now I need to pick up a towel and clean it up. But to, again, to the patient, nothing feels different. No, it feels exactly the same way that they, they did things before, but maybe they're just a little bit more clumsy than they were before. But for most patients it wasn't that big a deal. So the scientists decide to start experimenting on what happens when only one visual field is visible to that half of the brain. So the left hand is controlled by the right brain. And the right hand is controlled by the left brain and that's true for all the different parts of your body. So your left eye goes to your right visual cortex. Your right eye goes to your left visual cortex. Uh, The assumption is that this has to do with, like, protecting the body against, um, uh, against uh, paralysis. Like, if you get damaged on one side of your body the other one still works, but no one is exactly sure. That's, that's the assumption, but it is not for sure that that's why it happens. Anyway, so they start doing these experiments and they find this is probably why uh, a lot of they 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 find all these interesting things that that illustrate things that they were trying to figure out answers for in the past but they just could, didn't have any data to go off of. So for example let's say they use an eye patch. And they cover up one eye, now only this eye can see. So with the right eye, the left brain is now able to see and you can do things with your right hand, but the left hand has no information about what to do. The left hand might as well be, uh, you know, you might as well be blind because one eye can't see anything. One eye can. So, they find that the right hand in the vast majority of people is able to write, hmm. the left hand cannot. Because even though, like, if, if you ask a person with a functioning corpus callosum of the, the connection between the brain, uh, you know, oh, well, you're right-handed, but, you know, write your name with your left hand. It might take a lot of trial and error, and it might take a while, but they can do it. For these patients they couldn't do it. it it wasn't the case of you know oh this is difficult it was impossible for them to do it and so they had more experiments if they were looking with their right eye or their right hand they could read they could you know pro- uh they could read and then they could speak what they were seeing. so oh this says cat and dog however they looked with the left eye. The left eye could read what it was, and they could point to what it was. So if it's the word cat, they could point to the word cat. But they could not write the word cat. <coughs> Interesting. And and there were many of these things that they found. Um, you know, one side of the brain was specialized to be able to do it. And, and for people with a functioning corpus callosum, it's... It, 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 People made a much bigger deal out of these experiments than that was actually warranted. Uh, There there were many books and papers and all of this for many years that said, Oh, well, you know, you're a left-brain person, and that must mean that you are only good at being an accountant, or whatever. You know, like, there was, oh my, what's a Gigantamax bunny boy. (laughs) Uh... For those of you listening in the distant future, when uh, Pokemon no longer exists, uh, <laughs> I'm sure you'll have a lot of fun looking that up on the Galactic Encyclopedia. But, anyway. Pokemon will still exist, please. It's game Freak. God, no. Nothing, la- nothing lasts forever. It will wind up in the public domain. Oh, God, I hope so. <laughs> uh, that would be great. Um, so... Why, why do I bring this up in relation to uh, in relation to us? The reason why is because I think that there is at least a possibility that these factors of left brain, right brain, etc. I think that there is a possibility that these are heavily, heavily an influence on autism and ADHD because if the uh the 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 experiments showed pretty conclusively and you know again this is based on people with a medical condition so you have to take that into account that you know sometimes people with a medical condition they may all have one trait and everybody else doesn't but this has been confirmed by a lot of different um, lines of evidence now as well so Writing center of the brain, right hand. That's why most people are right-handed, probably. Yeah. Uh, drawing and creative side of the brain, the left hand. This is one reason why a lot of artists are prob- probably one of the reasons why a lot of artists are <laughs> left-handed, myself included. I'm I'm so such a special special boy. Oh, and then we have people that are ambidextrous. Yes, ambidextrous, where they can use either one. So, it is in a in a person with a functioning brain. uh, I I know that probably sounds like a joke, but it's not. in in a literally in a person with a functioning literal brain. um, It doesn't really matter that much that the brains are that the brain has these specialized areas because the brain can communicate very quickly with itself over the corpus callosum Uh, but so it but that being said despite the fact that it's not you know the world's most important you know piece of information like some people have claimed it to be there is still specialization on one side and the other side of the brain in most people But, here's the thing that I find interesting, that I want you to pay attention to if you could pause your game for about 60 seconds, my love, okay? So right side of the brain, sorry, right hand goes to the left side of the brain, Mm -hmm. logical, thinking, analytical, words. Left side, more artistic, more creative. Thinking more in pictures rather than words. This is the more emotional side of the brain, so to speak. I, again, the, the, a lot of this stuff is not nearly as, as cut and dry as people made it seem in the in the 80s and 90s when a lot of people like me were going to school, but here's my hypothesis that I would like to know if it's true or not. Here's my hypothesis. I think that it is at least possible that autism is an overactivity of the logical side of the brain. So logical side, right hand. Mm-hmm. And it is possible that ADHD and dyslexia are overactivity of the right side of the brain to the left hand. Left hand, right side of the brain because those are the specializations that we know exist in the brain. So if I'm all about numbers and and words, which people can speak to me for five seconds and figure that out about me. And if you are more about how does it feel, how does it how how do I use this creatively? How, whereas I'm like, budget, numbers, <laughs> bar graphs. I love bar graphs. <laughs> uh, I personally prefer pie graphs. I'm sure you because do. Because pie graphs are very pretty. You just like them because it's talking about food. <laughs> I, I, we, we all know that to be true. But, I'm just teasing you my love. But, if you're spending 50% on... If you're spending 50% of your money on pie, you should probably get a (laughs) gym graph instead of a pie graph. (laughs) (laughs) What? No, if you have a pie graph, Mm -hmm. you start with 100%, Mm -hmm. and then you take out individual slices, and all those slices have percentages to them. Yes. Yeah. Oh, darling, you don't have to eloquent. You, you don't have to explain <laughs> to me what a pie graph. I don't have to explain to you, but I can explain Oh you're to explaining the, it to the listeners. Okay I can explain it, to yeah. the listeners. Sorry. Sorry, no. I, I I for a moment I thought you were trying to explain to me what a pie graph is. No! So, I, I got that one. I got it. I, I, I know what that one means. Um so, To, to finish off the discussion about, um, about the split-brain patients, here is one of the most interesting things that I has, uh, in my opinion, this is one of the most interesting things to come out of scientific research in the past hundred years, okay? This is, in my opinion, one of the strongest pieces of evidence for evolutionary theory and
1: atheism.
0: Now I am not an atheist because one people do not like the term atheism but two <laughs> uh, I think that supernatural things could exist but you know I just I'm looking for evidence for it. I, I look I find these types of things fascinating. you know if you if you told someone who was an atheist, in in 1910, oh well you know someone is going to discover this theory that means that you know people can travel uh, millions of of units of distance called light years because of course the light year not been invented by that point but they can travel these distances within a human lifetime they would say oh well that's magic that has to be magic that there's no way that could happen within Newton's laws it's impossible But we know that that's not impossible. Anyway, I call myself a secular Buddhist Scientologist. I I know that that is much more complicated than most people even care to understand, but (laughs) I am not an atheist. I want people to understand that about me because I changed my mind on that. If you go back and watch some of my older videos, I say things like, oh, well, I'm an atheist that is no longer true and I would prefer for people to not derail my political campaign before it even gets started by going oh he's an atheist he worships satan and I'm like well no that's my husband he worships satan <laughs> um but I do not uh well this is the American house of cheese this is your lord and savior satan how can I help you today exactly I don't worship satan oh you don't no I worship change it'd be like saying i worship odin worship change what do you mean i worship the fact that change is the way forward for society yes so so wait are you saying that you have made a religion out of evolutionary biology because (laughs) if so that would be incredible uh and i would love to announce it on this podcast yes Okay, well, uh, we will call you the very first, um, Darwinist, um, as a religious term and not a scientific term. Uh, how interesting. Uh, thank you. You, so you're creating a religion. I am not founding the religion of Scientology, but I would like to make it a lot more popular than it is right now. It is absurd how few people know about it or understand it. But anyway. Uh, so you, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm helping out our founder, L. Ron Hubbard, to spread his religion, and you, and you are, uh, founding your own, so, delightful. Yes. Uh, sounds, sounds like a plant. <laughs> uh, Dar, the very first, uh, Darwinist on this podcast, uh, so, Mr. Darwinist, what would you like to say to your future congregants? Oh, I would say, stay fluffy, stay furry. Stay fluffy, stay furry. And if someone tells you that... If someone tells you, no matter what status in life you are, if someone tries to tell you you have to do something that way because it's unprofessional, tell them to go fluff themselves because it makes you happy. Exactly. I, you know, I wonder... I, I don't know exactly how I would quantify it, but I'm sure I could figure out a statistical basis for it. I wonder how many people have led unhappy lives because, they were, oh, well, I have to do it this way. I have to. It's, it's impossible to do it any other way. No, it's not. Uh, have you heard of electrification? Uh, electrification was a process that happened within our grandparents' lifetimes, which means getting electricity to all of the rural areas in America. And, and throughout other places in the world, but when, when we talk about electrification, oftentimes we are, in the United States at least, we are referring to the US process of electrification. And they said, oh, it's impossible, it can't be done. There's no way we could possibly have electric power out in the middle of Kentucky. Mitch McConnell will never be important because he's only four years old in this example. Um, And to those people, I would say, one, you're wrong. uh Two, Jeff Bezos is a thing. Elon Musk is a thing. Mm -hmm. If those two, quite frankly, if those two immature fuckers... (laughs) Wow, hot take. If those two immature fuckers can make billions of dollars, there's no reason why we can't bring electricity to Kentucky. Well, see, the thing is, is that this argument was being made in, like, 1920 1930 so yeah this would have been long before uh bezos but you you could say the same thing about john d rockefeller at the time <laughs> if rockefeller can do it so can you uh, <laughs> rockefeller had the right idea rockefeller had some good ideas other than the anti-semitism <laughs> I mean, Rockefeller's concept of taking over the indi- taking over industries single-handedly and then creating his own empire... It was such a good idea that we spent the next hundred years trying to destroy the, uh... Idea of monopoly? The monopoly laws that, that prevented people like Rockefeller from doing the things he did. Um, not very successfully, um, I know. Let's see, Well, uh, the Disney Corporation, what don't they own? Uh, good question! You know, this is actually an excellent question, because I will definitely use the power of eminent domain to take Disney shares, uh, when I am the president, because there's no reason not to. Uh, but, oh, I don't have my, uh, computer cord. What does Disney own? Excellent question. (laughs) They own a lot. It might be easier just to go down the list of things they don't own. (laughs) Yes. What does Disney own? There we go. Okay. Oops. Okay, this is my personal favorite graph of it. Because... It's become so complicated no, <laughs> that it requires the... a graph that is. Uh, it doesn't say this size. Is that Let's just the... What do I download? The... Is that just the blueprint for the Netstar? <laughs> uh, yes, correct. I'm glad that you figured it out. <laughs> what the hell is this thing? <laughs> okay. So once this downloads, I can see how big the image is because I just want to tell you how many pixels it is. If I can. Oh, yes, it's 2,500 by 3,000 pixels to be able to see all of the detail of what they own. That's a bit absurd, don't you think? <laughs> uh, so let's see. So they've separated it into the Mickey Mouse years, which is quite funny. Uh, Walt Disney Company is the middle. Obviously, they own the most. Then you have Marvel on the left. And you have 21st Century Fox on the right. Got it. Because they recently acquired 21st Century Fox. So, uh, where would you like to start? Uh, Marvel, 21st Century Fox, or Walt Disney Company? Walt Disney Company. Because obviously it would take us quite a few hour-long podcasts to get through this entire thing. But let's, let's just zoom in on one tiny part of the graph. And I'll make sure to link this in our show notes as well, but I'll just zoom in on one tiny part of the graph and uh, we can see how much they own. So Walt Disney Company, you have Disney Music Group, Disney Studios, Disney Parks, Direct Consumer, ESPN, Steamboat Ventures, (laughs) Disney ABC Television, Disney Theatrical. Which one do you want to take a look at? And how are they not a monopoly? Uh, they are under the laws that are currently in effect. The laws have not changed, but the regulations around the laws have changed Thank due you. to lobbying. Thank you, lobbyist firms. For Lobbyists, making... you can go die in fire. Uh, but yes. So, choose one. Choose. Choose. Poppy had heard, just thinking about the... <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the thing is, is that Disney is a $30 billion a year company, or it was recently, I think it may have gone up since then, because it surged dramatically during the pandemic. How convenient uh, that Disney, a company that primarily operates theme parks, would have greatly increased its holdings during the pandemic. Hmm... But, that being said, let's just zoom in on just one. Just one of the things that they own. Out of, I would guess, maybe about two dozen on this map. Uh, So, we have Disney ABC Television. Okay? So, here is everything that Disney owns within their television division. Their television division, <clears throat> ABC Entertainment, ABC Digital, ABC Studios, Times Square Studios, ABC Family Worldwide, ABC owned television stations including uh, WLS7 Chicago, KFSN 30 Fresno, KTRK 13 Houston, and many more local television stations. American Broadcasting Company, ABC, American Broadcasting Companies Incorporated, Disney slash ABC Television Group Digital Media, ABC News, A&E Networks, including A&E, Crime and Investigation, and FYI, A&E International, including A&E Network, UK, Germany, Asia, Latin America, Italy, India, TV18, and FYI, TV18. History Network, including History, History 2, History in Español, and Military History Channel. Lifetime Entertainment Services, including Lifetime Channel, Lifetime Movies Channel, Lifetime Real Women Channel, Lifetime Movie Club Channel, Lifetime Radio for Women not channel, uh, radio station, Lifetime Press, and Lifetime Digital. Uh, Vice Media International and Viceland. Any indie films, any networks and consumer products, any studies, any films, any networks digital, Disney channels worldwide, including Disney Junior, Disney XD, Disney Channel Radio, Disney, KRDC, AM Radio, It's a Laugh Productions, Broadcast Satellite, Disney Company Limited, and our personal favorite, and the one that creates all the furries, Disney Television Animation. Now that, I remind you, that was only one of approximately... 24 different areas of the company on this chart. <laughs> and I didn't even read every single thing in that one area. <laughs> that is how absurd this monopoly has become. What? what how, that is not okay. They, they have something like, I don't remember, it's like 30 or 40 or 50% of the whole TV animation and movie industry. Are they planning on building a that star? Well, yes, obviously. <laughs> Darling, do you... Why? They lit... Okay, <laughs> do you know about the Star Wars Hotel? Because I showed it to you, remember? Yes. Darling, they built a space station hotel. Yes. They built a space station that is staffed by people in military uniforms that is overtaken by the evil empire that's part of the story is a violent overthrow by an evil empire and they did this for for giggles oh it's so much fun why don't you come on a galactic cruise ship and get boarded by a hostile force Mm. (laughs) sounds like fun i'm in can we join the Empire at the least? I wish. Um, oh, yes, you can. So, uh, Okay. S- someday I would like to take you to the Star Wars Hotel because it looks delightful. I, I honestly think that it is a work of mastery by the Imagineers, but it is hilariously, hilariously out of tune with Disney's whole corporate message of, oh, we're just, a hap- we're just a happy little company founded by Walt Disney. We're just a happy place where you can spend all your money. Uh, that, that is not the message that comes across when you walk into a military battleship, uh, or sorry, military uh, station on the ship that has been designed by Disney uh, in the model of other military ships in real life uh that's a little bit terrifying yes let's let's make Uh now i obviously do not think that disney is planning to create an army and take over the world but (laughs) the fact that they could the fact that they could and they could use the design for the military turrets on the outside of a spaceship that they are now training people in their expensive Star Wars hotel. They are now training people on how to use military turrets on the outside of spaceships in a life-size cockpit. Uh I'm Mickey Mouse! (laughs) I'm I'm Mickey Mouse! Join my Space Force today! Hello! Hello, children. Have you ever wanted to blow up commies from space? <laughs> Let's blow up all the commies. <laughs> one, one second. There, Goofy. I'm Mickey Mouse. I'm going to take over the world, and there ain't no way going to stop me. Huh? I'm. You'll <clears> be <throat> a Goofy old time. <laughs> I think you're more of a Donald Duck. like do that? so <laughs> that. sad Fine. And that, that I may be a voice actor. Uh, it's so difficult to tell. Uh-huh? I'm like a You're gonna actually do a half decent Mickey. Yeah, that's actually kind of impressive. So uh, there's there's one more piece to the uh, there's one more piece to the um, the split brain story that I wanted to tell you before we got too far off track. There's one, and only one more piece to the story that I want to tell you. So, what they found, and and, you know, logically they this has to be true, but it, it was a surprise of course when they found it, was that the two halves of the brain made independent decisions so, for example, let's say that you showed the person a menu. Yep. And the menu has, you know, 30 different sandwiches or whatever. The left brain might decide on one sandwich, and the right brain decide on a completely different sandwich. And then, and then, here was the best part. Okay? So, you have one side of the brain that's verbal, and one side of the brain that's nonverbal. Okay? Mm-hmm. So if you had the nonverbal side pick a specific option. So, you know, I'm gonna have the Swiss the ham and swiss is what the, the nonverbal side, you know, pointed to the picture or whatever, then the verbal side of the brain would come up with a justification of why it picked that decision. And we can see this in um We can see this in you know every debate or every you know political party that's ever existed but you know justifying things after the fact there's actually a very strong evolutionary basis or sorry um, a research basis of how this happens oh you give people a hard decision they make a decision but then they, they justify the decision, regardless of whether it was right or wrong. And to finish out our story about these split-brain patients, there was at least one case, at least one case, where the person, when asked, one side of the brain said that it believed in God and was a Christian. And the other side said it not. Hmm. So! The question that has been making priests and rabbis and uh, ayatollahs and whoever shake in their prissy little boots for the past 50 years now is... Let's assume, for the sake of argument, let's assume for the sake of argument that we are not taking... Uh, you know, some type of uh, theological argument into account. So we're, we're not taking, you know, oh, well, he had to make sure he wasn't a sinner, or he couldn't eat raw meat, or whatever. It, whatever. We, <laughs> you couldn't eat raw meat! Well, no, unless uh, you hang out with wolves, you probably shouldn't eat raw meat. <laughs> I, know, no, I know, I'm, just, I'm giving an example of like a dietary restriction. So we're, we're taking all of these things out of the equation for the sake of the Thought. Experiment. So, this person, whoever they were, because their identity was never released as far as I know, uh, It's in a secret archive somewhere. I'm sure. Let's... Hold on! Let me finish the story! Okay. Let's assume, for the sake of argument, that in whatever religion that they practiced, that this person did everything right. Okay, so they, they, maybe they're a Jewish person and they've been circumcised and they never eat pork. Or they're a Christian person and they have uh, you know, said the prayer of salvation, or a Protestant Christian person. They've said the prayer of salvation, they've tithed, they've done good deeds, etc. But they die and go to heaven and one half of their mind does not believe in Christ. Or you know believes in a completely different religion maybe maybe it believes in satan or whatever it doesn't matter the point is this person do they go to heaven or hell and to my to my knowledge because i've looked into this very thoroughly i find it absolutely fascinating to my knowledge there has not been a single religious person of any religion able to give a an answer that is satisfactory to me at the very least and to you know reddit slash you know the atheist community at large in general now obviously reddit does not represent the atheist community at large but they are by far the largest group of atheists on the internet so while i vehemently disagree with a lot of the things that reddit atheists have done Uh, the fact that they are the largest group on the internet is there's no there's not even any contest it's it's the largest by far so the only thing that i have heard in response to this argument so far is arguments based on personal belief because to be fair in most religions that's all you can do you know you can't say oh well uh, of course the, the half of his brain that was religious went to heaven and the other half went to hell like no that you can't split a soul that that in in almost every religious tradition that is impossible that, it, it, obviously human religions are very complicated so there are some religions where the soul can be split but they are not any of the more popular religions so I would like to now that you have heard all of my story behind this I would like to hear your argument. If there is life after death, and if one half of the brain believes and one half does not, and they did everything else right, would the brain go to heaven or hell? Hmm. Would the soul go to heaven or hell, I should say. Hmm. I think ever since this question was posed, theological scholars have been making exactly the same face that you just did of, hmm. Because from what I have heard, there is no definitive answer. You, obviously, some people are going to give you a definitive answer, but if you press them on it, as I have done many times, They go well that's just my opinion you you say oh well somebody might say oh well if they've said the prayer of salvation before the mind was cut in half then they go to heaven but if the prayer of salvation was said after it was cut in half then half of the brain did not say the prayer of salvation and therefore they would have to be judged based on their actions similar to a person who has never heard the gospel of Christ And you get into these very strange and very, in my opinion, pedantic arguments like that. Of like, well, when did they say the prayer of salvation? When exactly? Was it on the day of the surgery? Was it right before they went under anesthesia? Like, it just becomes absurd. Well, because they're looking at the wrong aspect of it. Okay. What aspect would you look at? They're arguing... Oh the human the, the human soul goes to heaven or hell and that's the only explanation there is. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say they're arguing their argument doesn't matter. Okay, because because, because heaven the afterlife is a fucking schoolground. It is just school a schoolground. The afterlife is just a place to take a final exam okay interesting what do you mean well we come to earth you learn your lessons you die okay you get tested on the lessons that you were there for interesting okay so kind of a reincarnation concept basically okay interesting so uh Uh, so it doesn't matter Mm. in my own humble opinion it doesn't matter if you're atheist hindu whatever mm-hmm. as long as you're not create as long as you're not blowing yourself up for some weird god <laughs> right you don't need to chill Ch- just chillax bro if you want to blow Ch- p- J- bro i will i will make you the most <laughs> delicious pork kielbasa that you have ever tasted uh, since you've never tasted a kielbasa before, it will be the most delicious, and I will tell you that it is a beef kielbasa, so you will actually eat it. And then when you do eat it, you will say, mm, "That was so good. I would love to have another." And I would say, "Well, from this pig," <laughs> and they go, "Oh, well, you tricked me. Fuck <laughs> you." Yeah, but still, guys, just chill. Yes. Oh my god, if people would only just chill a little bit, the world would be so much better! Uh, by the way, I, I've come up with the, the, uh, the, the name of the strain of um, hemp, uh, and for legal reasons, I'm going to say the word hemp, and not any other word, but legal hemp. The strain of legal hemp that we're going to grow. Yes. Are we uh, gonna call it the Wiggly Puppy? No, we are going to call it, because here's how we're going to market it, okay? Yep. I will be my scientist character for the show, and I will say. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll like sponsor other people's videos, for example, to get the word out about it. And I'll be like, friends, friends, I've discovered the most powerful chemical in the universe. It's a new chemical element. It's called Galaxium. <laughs> Come, come to my, come to my internet website and order your chillaxium today. <laughs> and it's just it's legal CBD, basically. Maybe a little bit of delta eight if the federal government keeps their uh, panties on about that. Uh, but CBD <clears throat> is legal in all fifty states, as far as I know. Uh, but you know, as long as it's legal in that state, we can sell it. We'll, and uh we'll just immi- we'll just you know we'll just decriminalize every single drug ever. Uh, yes, it should be decriminalized. It is it is absurd. It is absurd that in an age with as much science and reason as we have that we are still treating uh the issues of addiction and poverty and crime with the same techniques that have not worked. For 150 years. But we gotta protect the populace, so we gotta put these people in prison because they're committing crimes. See, 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 see. But, but, you have to consider the actual effect on the population. You can't just say, oh, well, prison is the only way. The only way that we could protect ourselves is by putting people in prison, and it's like, are are you stupid? Because the Nazis tried that. It was called the Holocaust. Uh huh. Or or <laughs> when when we put a bunch of people with darker colored skin from Africa, uh, sorry ancestors from Africa in in the case of the modern day, or from Africa itself in the case of the old times, but uh, when we put a bunch of people in work camps work camps where they were not allowed to leave and then paid them nothing for their work that's called slavery and it was outlawed in 1870 or some shit eight like the the constitution says that you are not allowed to have slaves in the united states and what is prison labor for 12 cents an hour other than slavery Especially because something like I don't even remember, it's like 50% of the prison population is African American. And that means and well and to and again, to be fair, there are only, from what I understand, about 10% of the population that is African American. And so having 50% of your prison population be a minority group that's only 10% means that just based on that rough math, I'd have to to look up the exact numbers, but based on that rough math, that's five times as many people from that racial group as should be, quote unquote, should be in prison if it was a fair system. And so it's not a fair system by the numbers. It's so obvious that you, you, you do not have to be a statistician to look at these things and say, that is completely unfair. Well, we are getting close to about an hour and a half for this episode or uh, an hour and 15 minutes, something like that for this episode. So uh, I think that we have covered a lot of really interesting topics. And uh, just to uh, just to finish my my argument quote-unquote about the uh, split brain patients, it is unfortunate for the cause of scientific research that these procedures are no longer necessary just because they yielded such interesting results, but just for the sake of suffering of patients, etc. I mean, obviously we are glad that we have things like psychogenic medicines instead of having to cut people's brains in half, but I think it would be fascinating if, if it were possible to do it in an ethical way. I think it would be fascinating to perform similar experiments with people who have autism and adhd and to find out you know for example we have much more advanced brain scanning uh, technology now so you don't have to cut someone's brain open to be able to experiment with their brain you can you know show the same stimuli with you know the same image or same video you can show the same stimuli to a person with autism and a person with adhd and you can see what parts of the brain light up and that is a more humane way to do these types of experiments. So if these types of experiments could be performed in a safe, humane, and ethical way, I would be fascinated to see just how different the brains of, you know, your control group, quote-unquote, your your average patient versus the brain of an autistic person versus the brain of an ADHD or dyslexic person. And I'm sure those studies are being done. It's just a It's, it's, it's a complicated field of study. A little bit. A little bit. Uh, So, uh, that should uh, finish us up for the episode for today. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. We are so grateful for your support. Uh, We have a ton of episodes now on the, uh, on the feed. And if you can, please uh, give those a listen. Uh, including uh, many of the episodes that we made a few months ago, those are all, uh, in my opinion, great to listen to. Especially, uh, I've been hearing a lot of <laughs> listeners writing in and saying that they're, you know, just queuing it up and listening to all of them in a row, and that is freaking awesome. Thank you, listeners. Yes. It only makes sense when you start from the beginning. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> For those of you, you know, who may have scrolled back. You know a year or two from now or a thousand years from now for those of you scrolling back like oh i'm gonna listen to some of the early episodes uh well luck to i would recommend starting from the very beginning because there is a lot of context that you will miss if you do not start from the very beginning uh so yes if you're watching this on youtube if you're watching this on the star wars holonet at disneyland's uh uh, Disney World's Star Wars Hotel. Um, <laughs> make sure that you uh, make sure that you like the video and make sure that you subscribe to the channel. And uh, please do write a review and a comment wherever you see this on whatever podcasting app that you're using. Uh, we greatly appreciate your uh, sticking with us and, uh, and helping us on this uh, on this amazing journey that we're on. Spaceship Earth, as uh, as Epcot would put it. Uh, So, thank you so much for listening, and have a wonderful day.